Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Sunday, April 19th, and uh, today's episode is pretty much entirely dedicated to quarterbacks in the NFL Draft. We're going to do film analysis for the top five quarterbacks in the NFL Draft. I'm going to rank the top five quarterbacks in order, who I think is best to worst. Uh, We're going to talk about the XFL. The XFL is done. It'll be at the end of the show, kind of not buried at the end, but I know most people want to hear about quarterbacks. We'll talk about a ton of quarterback stuff. We'll talk briefly. I'll react to why, you know, the XFL is gone. It's sad. I haven't talked about it yet at all. Uh, I'm going to talk about, I finally got the time to sit down. Not did, had the time. I finally took the time to sit down and listen to Tom Brady's interview on Howard Stern. It was awesome. I just want to say, like, all I'm going to say, I guess, at the beginning of the show is this. I hope everyone's doing well. I have been uh, struggling a little bit. I think it's okay to be struggling a little bit. And so I just hope everyone's doing well. I'm thinking about you guys. I appreciate everybody who's listening. And I want to start today with this topic because it's really, really important that people know this. I try my best to communicate with everyone listening to the show uh, to be very clear about stuff. And so I want to be totally open, totally transparent, uh, as much as I can at least. I know there are, you can probably hear from what I'm about to say. There are things I'm certainly not saying, but I'm not going to go into that. I'll just say this. Um, normally when I do film analysis videos, you know, I, I watch a ton of film, like hours and hours of film, and then I organize all my thoughts, all my notes, all my takeaways from what I saw on film. And then I talk in the podcast and I explain what the film says. And simultaneously, if you watch the video, you'll hear what I'm saying on film. You hear what I'm what I what I saw on film and explaining my thoughts, but you'll also see video of what I'm talking about. Usually when you watch a film analysis video I make, you hear my thoughts and you see what I'm talking about, what film I watched as I share my thoughts. And um I want to be kind of I don't know if apologetics right word here, but I, I want to be clear, like for all of my film analysis videos for the 2020 NFL draft quarterbacks. These are, it's college football film. These are, they're going to be eight of them roughly. Uh, I have five quarterbacks done. I'm thinking I'll probably do three more throughout the week, but I will not be showing any of the film I watched while I do these film analysis videos. Um, I know this is going to upset some people. I wasn't happy either. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. I usually make really, really heavily edited film analysis videos with a ton of clips to show you. And I just, you know, the truth is, you know, the problem here really is the NCAA. It's college football. Um, I will not be showing any footage from the film analysis, you know, for my film analysis videos for the 2020 NFL Draft quarterbacks. Uh, So please, I ask you, if you're the Big Ten, if you are the SEC, if you're the Pac-12 Network, and like Pac-12 Network, I've worked for you guys. I have paychecks that literally have your company name on them. I've been to your headquarters. Uh, You know, please... I want to help promote your league, but you got to work with me. You got to work with me. I, I, for a long time, uh, behind the scenes, I've been like a scavenger trying to find film. Random people will send me passwords or get anonymous emails with a link to a video here or there. Um, and I was unable to get access to film that I can play on the show for Strong Opinion Sports for the 2020 NFL Draft quarterbacks. It's kind of like, I don't know. I, I will say this. If you're the Big Ten, if you're the Pac-12, if you're the SEC... I want to work with you guys. I want to help promote your league, but you got to work with me. You got to, you got to help me out. You got to work with me. And if you don't, um, well, we're going to get what we have. So to be clear, 
there will not be any clips or any uh, any you know film on my film analysis videos that I can show you guys on these ones for the 2020 NFL Draft quarterbacks. It's a rare thing. There's going to be eight of them roughly, and back to normal again after the NFL Draft. But college here, college film is a little bit different than other film, and so um, you know. Otherwise, though, these film analysis videos will be exactly like all my other ones. It's still what the film says. It's my thoughts. It's all the same as normal. The only difference is you're not going to see any footage of what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. Um, And unfortunately, I I have waited and I have waited uh, and I've waited, but it's time. I had to just move on with a different solution because I, I, I couldn't get film access to film I could show you on the podcast and and play on the show on YouTube. So again, they're normal film analysis videos. There's just going to be no footage as I explain to you what the film says. I apologize. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and again, man, please, if you're the Pac-12 network, if you're the Big Ten, for the SEC network, uh, hey, I'd love to work with you guys, but you got to work with me as well. Okay, uh, let's talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow accomplished a lot last year at LSU. Uh, he won the Heisman Trophy. He won a national championship. He threw more touchdowns in a single season than any quarterback ever had before. He had 60 touchdowns. That's a new record for passing touchdowns for a single season. It's pretty ridiculous. And he did that all in the SEC against top talent, against really good NFL players. He beat seven top 10 teams last year. It's unbelievable. Joe Burrow was likely going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Now, the question I always ask is, what's the film say? And I watched the film from all of Joe Burrow's games last year. And uh, the tape shows he's the best quarterback available in the NFL draft. He should be the number one overall pick. And uh, before we do anything else, I want to explain that there's a difference between talent and skill. Talent is natural. Talent is luck of the draw. But on the other hand, skill is developed through hard work. It's 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 a product of you doing a ton of work on your own. Joe Burrow is a decently talented quarterback. He's, he's quick, he's elusive, he's, got a, he's accurate. But even accuracy is not really a product of talent, it's a product of skill. He's not the biggest, he's not the fastest quarterback in the draft, and he does not have the strongest arm of all the quarterbacks available. However, Joe Burrow is incredibly skilled. Decision-making, mechanics, footwork, accuracy. Joe Burrow's success was a product of his work ethic and a product of his preparation. He works incredibly hard. It's very, very apparent when you watch the film. He mastered everything he could control. His decision-making is one of the things that makes him a special quarterback. He's a lead at two things when it comes to decision-making. Number one is pre-snap planning, and number two is post-snap processing. He's so good at understanding defenses and making a plan before he snaps the ball. Uh, and then after the ball snapped, he's incredible at processing what the defense is doing and reacting. College football is easy for the guy. He regularly made what I call the perfect decision where you're like, how this often was he that precise and making the right decision? That It's just crazy to me. He mastered the college level. I mean, there's a play I love against Auburn. It's on the goal line. And pre-snap, he sees man coverage on the outside. There's nobody in the middle of the field. Everybody vacates. The box is totally empty. Meaning the middle of the field, there's nobody prepared to guard the quarterback if Joe Burrow runs. Joe Burrow realizes this. He snaps the ball, takes off up the middle, runs for a touchdown. And you're like, 
That's just something he realized pre-snap. There's nobody accounting for me. It's heads up. It's smart. That's how he plays football. He's incredibly, incredibly intellectual as a quarterback. It's just a smart heads up play. And I'll be honest, I looked for bad plays. It's hard to find bad, negative plays from Joe Burrow. There just aren't that many. And he loved, he loved one-on-one coverage. He was literally begging defenses, please, I am daring you, I am begging you, play man coverage against my receivers. I have never seen a quarterback in college, really at any level actually, beat man coverage as consistently and as easily as Joe Burrow did last year. It's ridiculous. Now, part of that, I will admit, is simply because he had incredible receivers, either him or either LSU or Alabama had the best receiving core in college football. You can debate that. I don't want to. It doesn't matter. His receivers were ridiculously good. And there were definitely moments where Joe Burrow knew, um, my guys are better. I have an advantage. This matchup works in our favor. I'm just going to throw the ball up and my guy's going to make a play. I mean, against Oklahoma, for example, he just abused that over and over again. He said, my guy's better than your guy. You can't guard him. I'm going to throw the ball deep, and you're just there's nothing you can do. They couldn't guard his receivers, and he knew it. But, you know, so I will acknowledge there were moments where Joe Burrow relied on his receivers to win for him to make him look good. But also, like, you can't really blame him for taking advantage. If you have a better guy, take advantage of that matchup every time. You kind of can't blame him for that. So again, yes, there are times where he relied on his receivers. But I want to be clear, there are also other times where, I mean, there are moments where he would just throw guys open. I mean, if you're next to me and I'm totally guarded, he would throw the ball to the only spot where I could, I was the only person who could get it. There's back shoulder throws where he's just throwing people open. They're not open, they're covered. And he's like, no, no, I'm so accurate. I can throw the ball where only my guy can get it and it'll be a completion anyway. I mean, it's like Aaron Rodgers style or level of ball placement where you're like, wow, I can't believe that. There's a reason why he completed so many contested passes. Some of it was great receivers, and some of it truly was. Joe Burrow is just a special level of accurate. There's a a back shoulder seam ball against Texas. It goes for a touchdown. It's a perfect location on the back shoulder. He turns the receiver around. It's incredible. That's high-level, next-level NFL stuff. The receiver wasn't open. And Joe Burrow said, I'm going to be so accurate, you're going to become open. He threw him open. Or against Oklahoma, literally, the, I, I watched it. I watched every single quarterback in college last year. I watched Justin Herbert. I watched Tua. I watched Jacob Eason. I watched Jordan Love. Joe Burrow made the best throw I saw in the entire college football season last year against Oklahoma. There was a play where he literally, I, I've never, it's just crazy to me what happens. He steps up in the pocket. He extends the play. He's running towards the sideline. And then while running on the run, he throws a dart into a tiny window on the back shoulder for the receiver on the goal line for a touchdown. He was on the 45-yard line. That ball traveled like 60 yards in the air. It's ridiculous to me. It's a perfect pass on a line while running into a tiny window for a touchdown. That doesn't happen. That's an NFL throw. It's ridiculous. Joe Burrow does not have the strongest arm in the draft, but he is the most accurate quarterback in the draft. And that's incredibly, incredibly important. Again, everything he could control, he mastered. It's ridiculous. His footwork was incredible. The way he navigated the pocket. Here's the thing. It's clear that Joe Burrow did a ton of footwork drills. He did them so well. He, everything was natural for him. 
It all locked into muscle memory. When a guy would come off the right edge, he didn't have to think about what to do. He reacted because his body was so used to doing it. He clearly did drill after drill after drill. His offseason must have been a ton of footwork drills, getting better at everything he could control. He wasn't thinking on the field. In the pocket, he was simply reacting because he knew the, he knew everything so well. He trained really, really hard for those moments. And then once Joe Burrow escaped the pocket, his improvisation is off the charts. It's crazy. Nobody extended a play as well as Joe Burrow did last year in college football, or really even in the NFL. It's, it's, it's pretty bizarre and pretty crazy. He was so good at keeping a play in front of him while scrambling. He's not Lamar Jackson. Joe Burrow's not going to run for 40 yards downfield. But he can run for 10, and the reality is where Joe Burrow does most of his work is between the hash mark and the sideline. He gets out of the pocket, he extends a play, keeps his eyes downfield, and it's kind of like when he navigates the pocket, it's kind of like everyone around him is moving in slow motion. He's got such great feel for defenders around him. He doesn't care. He never panics. He's never nervous. He's totally calm. And even, I love Joe Burrow. From the pocket, he was great. It's very possible that Joe Burrow did his best work when he was outside of the pocket scrambling and extending a play. That's rare. That's really high-quality stuff. Now, some people criticize Joe Burrow for holding on to the ball too long. That's nonsense to me. Uh, That's part of his game. You know, the NFL game is evolving, and that's why NFL teams want him. NFL teams want him because he can avoid a sack, because he can avoid a sack, make someone miss, extend the play, and throw the ball downfield. I mean, there, there's a play, uh, I can't believe, I can't remember who they're playing. There's multiple plays like this, actually. Against every team he played against, there will be a play where the defense only brings a three-man rush. They dropped eight guys into coverage. They're saying, we're going we're gonna to back everybody off. We're going to play coverage. We're going to make you beat us with your arm. And Joe Burrow says, okay, you're not going to bring pressure at me? No problem. I'm not going to force a throw. And Joe Burrow just calmly waits. He extends a play. He runs around a little bit, moves around in the pocket or even out of the pocket, keeps the play alive until somebody emerges open downfield. If you don't rush Joe Burrow, you're making a mistake. But if you do, he can escape the pocket and throw the ball downfield. I don't know how you beat the guy. It's pretty crazy to me. You know, occasionally Joe Burrow's playing style can cause a sack. Uh, Everybody, every quarterback gets sacked at some point eventually. And if Joe Burrow behind the line of scrimmage gets caught and gets sacked, it's just really, you know, it's, it's the price you pay for all the positive plays he brings. You put up with the occasional sack. You see it with Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Every quarterback who can scramble a little bit will get sacked occasionally and get caught. And that's just the price you pay to have a quarterback who can do what he can do and extend plays as well as he can. You're happy to live with it. Now, I love the idea of saying that Joe Burrow is great under pressure. Again, I have never said this to someone. It'd be kind of cheesy if I, was, if I was like, you know, Joe Burrow's great under pressure. But I love the idea of it because it has two meanings. On one hand, Joe Burrow is great when people are literally chasing him down. When people are behind him, there's pressure on him. He's great. He's good at extending plays. But also, literally in the biggest moments of the year, when there are 100,000 fans yelling, the game is on the line, Joe Burrow was totally comfortable. He played really his best football in the biggest moments. That says a lot about who he is, about his, his calm under pressure, about how ne- there's never a situation that's too big for him. Literally like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia. It's actually kind of funny. Like the worst game of the year that Joe Burrow played was against lowly Utah State. Like he had a bad opening part of the game. He had a slow start. 
He plays better in big games, and that says a lot about who he is as a person and as a quarterback. Now, when I watch Joe Burrow, I see a guy who can do everything. He's not perfect, uh, and I'm about to talk about maybe some of the problems or flaws he has, but he is the best quarterback in the entire NFL draft. He gets it. He has an incredible work ethic. He's great at reading defenses. He's highly accurate. He can beat man coverage. He can literally throw people open, and he is off the charts good at extending plays. Now, there are some common concerns about Joe Burrow. A couple of them are silly, but there are three things I want to pay attention to as well. But first, you know, some of the negative things that run like ring hollow and seem kind of silly to me are when people say, well, he has receivers wide open. Okay, um, it's college football. Everybody has receivers that are wide open. And he also had a ton of completions into tight windows. Yes, occasionally Jamar Chase gets wide open. There's nobody around him because he's that good or because the system he played in was really great. But you see so many examples on film of Joe Burrow beating man coverage, making throws into tight windows, showing great anticipation. It's just a silly criticism that, you know, receivers are wide open. Everybody had guys like that. And, uh, you know, he also people say his receivers were so good. Well, yeah, you can't really fault him for playing on a good team. Uh, I think that's a silly too. Again, I go back to there are so many examples of great throws in a tight window from Joe Burrow, more than any other quarterback in college football. It's just the the receivers wide open. The receivers are really good. Criticisms just ring really hollow and are kind of silly to me. Now, I will acknowledge this. I think this is worth saying. Joe Burrow has a weaker spiral than some quarterbacks. Uh, he has solid kind of average arm strength. He could have a stronger arm. I'd love to see him drive the ball even better downfield. He really doesn't drive the ball as well as a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. And I, I do wonder how well will Joe Burrow do in cold weather? Like if he play, if the Bengals draft him number one overall, he'll play in the AFC North, in Pittsburgh, in Cleveland, in Baltimore. How is he going to do in cold, windy, wet weather? We'll find out. Um, maybe there's a possibility that could be a concern. I don't know, but there are two, I think, legitimate concerns when it comes to Joe Burrow. Number one is that he threw to his first options all the time. He'd catch the snap and he had a plan pre-snap every time where he would throw to his first option because he was so good at identifying coverages that he could basically predict what the defense was going to do every single time. Defense has kind of made it too easy for him. And my question is, how is Joe Burrow going to do against more complicated NFL defenses? You know, when teams disguise their coverage and he has to go, number one isn't there, number two isn't there, number three is there. We saw that a lot last year, but there is a concern that here's my, my really big question. It's not that he, we know Joe Burrow can go from one to two to three to four, but how is he going to handle when defenses disguise their coverage? There's an interception against Ole Miss where the defense did disguise their coverage. Pre-snap, they showed man coverage. Then after Joe Burrow snapped the ball, they backed off in his own coverage. And they baited Joe Burrow into a mistake, and he threw an interception. So again, my, my concern is, will NFL defenses, which are more complicated and often disguise their coverages because they have more time to prepare, they don't have to go to classic and literally do football all day, have meetings. And NFL defenses are more complicated because there's more time to practice and learn and prepare. How will Joe Burrow react when all the time it looks like man coverage and it's actually zone or vice versa? Will he have more? I don't think so because, again, Joe Burrow will have more time to prepare as well. But it is worth talking about. Joe Burrow could literally predict what defenses were going to do every time in college football. 
he's not going to have as easy a time doing that in the NFL. Here's the number two concern. There are a lot of plays last year where Joe Burrow would escape a sack. Like a man would come free up the middle and he'd make the defender miss, extend the play, throw the ball downfield. How much of that is going to translate to the NFL? In the NFL, he's going to be playing against better athletes. And my question is, will he still be as elusive in the NFL? We saw again, a lot of times last year, a guy would come free, he'd make a man miss. Is he going to be able to to make a man miss when it's a professional at a higher level of play against better athletes? I don't know. I think Joe Burrow is going to always be somewhat elusive and somewhat able to extend a play, but it might be diminished just a little bit at the NFL level because he's going to have fewer broken tackles and make fewer guys just randomly miss because he's not the best athlete in the world. He's just kind of slippery and has good pocket movement more than he's a great, incredible, gifted athlete. Now, there are two more really important things to say about Joe Burrow. Uh, Last year, Joe Burrow had a really great coach, Joe Brady, helping him. Uh, Joe Brady had an NFL background, and many people say that Joe Burrow was only good because he had this really good coach helping him. And to me, that's nonsense. Again, yes, Joe Brady had an NFL background, but part of the reason why Joe Burrow's ready for the NFL is because he had a great coach. The reason why he is the best quarterback in the draft is, again, partly because he had a great coach helping him. But Joe Burrow bought in. Who made decisions at the line of scrimmage? Who threw the ball? Who was accurate? Who avoided rushes? Who extended plays? You can't give all the credit to the coach. It doesn't make any sense because Joe Burrow made so many great plays. I'll never understand people who say, he was only good because of the coach. Um, Yeah, the coach prepared him to play, but Joe Burrow was the guy on Saturdays making plays, delivering, having great games, completing passes, not the coach. Joe Burrow was the one making defenses look silly. Having a good coach helped, but Joe Burrow deserves a ton of credit. He worked his butt off. And, you know, in 2018, Joe Burrow was an average quarterback. Two years ago, Joe Burrow was an average quarterback. I figured he'd be maybe a sixth or seventh round quarterback in the NFL draft. Then in 2019, Joe Burrow showed a massive, massive improvement. Got way better. And he did. It wasn't like the team got better. It wasn't that the coaching got better. Joe Burrow became better as a quarterback. And the fact that Joe Burrow showed improvement like that should be why NFL teams want him. You know, Justin Herbert, the quarterback at Oregon, has been basically the same quarterback for three years. He's been making the same exact mistakes for three years. Joe Burrow showed an ability to look at his mistakes and improve on them, to look at his flaws and weaknesses as a quarterback and eliminate them and get better. Joe Burrow did the work. He got better, and people need to give him more credit and more respect for that. People say, well, he only had one good year. I think that's just silly and nonsensical to me. Now, here's my biggest concern with Joe Burrow. Is he satisfied? Is Joe Burrow satisfied with what he's done? He worked his butt off. He had the best season ever for a college quarterback. He won the Heisman Trophy. He won a national championship. He beat seven top 10 teams in college football. He has the most passing touchdowns in a single season. Better than guys like Colt Brennan or Case Keenum. It's pretty crazy. Joe Burrow is about to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And this might sound a little bit crazy, but Joe Burrow's film is better than Andrew Luck's. It's that good. He's incredible. Last year in college, he, he just blew it apart. It's amazing. Greatest season ever. 
But can Joe Burrow live up to it? How badly does Joe Burrow want to succeed in the NFL? He can't just be hungry. He needs to be super hungry to succeed. Will he keep working like he did to get to this point? To get to where he is now, he worked his butt off. Can he keep it up? Can he keep working as hard? How hungry is he? That's the biggest question about Joe Burrow. If he keeps working and preparing like he did to get to this point, then the NFL is in trouble. He worked so incredibly hard. It's very obvious. Go watch two years ago. Watch last year. He made tremendous improvement. He did a lot of work on his own. Footwork drills, mechanics, accuracy, throwing the ball, timing, everything you can work on as a quarterback, everything he could control, he mastered. Will he keep it up? If he does, he'll succeed in the NFL. If he doesn't, we could have another sad story about a quarterback out of Cincinnati that didn't live up to the hype and wasn't quite as good as we all hoped he would be. When I watched the film of Tua Tungavaloa, it's pretty clear to me that he's the second best quarterback in the NFL draft. He's not as good as Joe Burrow, but he's also a lot better and more polished than every other quarterback available in the NFL draft. Tua is a franchise quarterback, and he's at his best when he's in the pocket. He's got a great deep ball. He's highly accurate when throwing the ball down along the sidelines. He's really accurate. He's got great footwork. Um, And when he's going through progressions, his footwork helps him maintain a level of accuracy when he's throwing to his third and his fourth read. Uh, You know, the most encouraging thing I see on film from from, uh, from Tua Tungvaloa is that he's able to not only work from his progressions from one to two, but then back to the backside three to four, third and fourth reads in a progression. But he's also completing a ton of passes downfield in the really tight windows. And you see a lot of NFL-level throws from Tua. Tua executes at a high level. Uh, he has a lot of passes in the tight windows. And you, know, you see a lot of plays from Tua where you think, that's exactly what he's going to need to do at the NFL level. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the draft, but it's more than enough. And again, that ability to drive the ball downfield in a tight windows, throw with a lot of anticipation. Tua understands when a receiver is going to be open and will throw the ball before they've made their break and throw them open into a window. Highly accurate. I see a franchise quarterback when I watch Tua play on film. Now, here's the difference between Joe Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa. Joe Burrow is the clear number one. Tua is the clear number two. Then there's everybody else after them. But there is a difference, and it's bigger than I thought it would be between Joe Burrow and between Tua. The difference is that Joe Burrow had creative solutions that Tua did not. Again, Tua executes at a high level. He completes a lot of passes in the tight windows. Normally, Tua would be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Normally, he'd be the number one quarterback in the NFL draft. But Joe Burrow is just simply next level with ball location, throwing guys open, literally Aaron Rodgers level ball accuracy where he's throwing guys on the back shoulder. They're, they're not open. They're totally guarded. And Joe Burrow finds a way to throw the ball into them anyway and be so accurate. He throws them open. And you know, Tua was not as precise, had fewer eye-popping plays. And Joe Burrow's ability to extend plays and improvise was also better than Tua. You know, All this stuff I'm saying where I'm saying Joe Burrow's better than Tua, it's not a knock against Tua. He's a great quarterback. It just really shows how great Joe Burrow is. Now, I will also say Tua got hurt last year. He played with a hurt ankle. 
but even on Tua's best day, Joe Burrow was a better quarterback at extending plays and better improvisation. There's a play against Tennessee where Tua had an ugly interception where he was trying to improvise and trying to keep the play alive. And he also occasionally forced some throws into double coverage. And you're like, mm, I don't know. Now, I will say, I think it's silly when people talk about Tua's throwing motion. He's left-handed. And most quarterbacks are right-handed. But if you put Tua's tape into a computer program on video, and you know if you flip the image so you're watching Tua throw right-handed rather than left-handed... He looks totally normal as a, quote, right-handed quarterback. Now, most people, I think, just struggle to adjust to watching a left-handed quarterback. Their brains can't orient to it as well. But if you put Joe Burrow or uh, Justin Herbert or even Andrew Luck into the same computer program and flip their motions so they look like they're left-handed, that looks weird, too. I think most people, it's not that Tua has a bad throwing motion. Most people just aren't used to watching a left-handed quarterback throw the ball. I will say... If Tua can find a way to use his hips and create more torque with his legs, he's going to have even more velocity on the ball. But that's really my only critique when it comes to mechanics with Tua and the way he throws the ball. Now, when it comes to Tua, the biggest unknown is his mobility. I remember watching the guy two years ago and thinking, man, this guy moves in the pocket like Russell Wilson. He's so elusive. He's hard to sack. And then last year, he played the majority of his season with an injured ankle. And then he ended his year with a dislocated hip. And so we really just never saw much mobility from Tua at all last year. And he's also had multiple lower body injuries. And he's not only that, he's about to play in the NFL against better athletes. So my question is, when Tua plays in the NFL, is he going to be as mobile as we saw two years ago? I don't think so. Uh, It's hard to know. We did see a video of Tua working with Trent Dilfer and moving around a bunch. But... That's in a gym. I mean, it's hard to predict how he's going to play on Sundays when there are bodies flying all around him. Now, the good news is this. You don't need Tua to be incredibly mobile. That's not where he's best at. What Tua's best at is staying in the pocket, being an incredibly accurate quarterback, making great decisions. Accuracy has always been Tua's biggest number one strength. So I believe Tua is a franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, If I'm the Dolphins... I draft Tua with the number five overall pick. Um, I let him sit for a little bit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I believe that'd be a great move. It's kind of weird. People are like, I don't know about Tua. Let me tell you this. Tua is a franchise quarterback. I don't know what else you want. You want a franchise quarterback. You want a guy who can make high-level throws, who can make great decisions. He's a good leader. That's exactly what Tua is. I'm a big fan of Tua. I believe in him. He is a franchise quarterback. And here's another thing. Film aside, this is really, really important. In the last couple months, Tua has been through a lot. Rehab, recovery, doing a ton of work, trying to get back to where he was from a mobility standpoint. And this whole time, as he's doing rehab, as he's working, he's heard a lot of people not believing in him. A lot of media pundits saying this and that about him. And I know from experience that adversity can either make you bitter or make you better. In this situation, I believe that All the adversity Tua's been through in the last couple months is going to make him a better leader, a better man, a better quarterback. And I would go into battle with Tua. If Tua was next to me on a beach at Normandy, I would fight hard and I'd want Tua to be the guy next to me, man. Uh, I strongly, strongly believe that Tua will succeed as an NFL quarterback. He's got all the traits. He's got all the habits. He's incredibly talented. And 
he's a franchise quarterback. I love Tua. I would draft him, and he's the number two quarterback in the NFL draft, but that says less about him and more about just how great Joe Burrow is. But if Tua goes to the Dolphins, they build around him, he's going to be a great quarterback, have a long career, and succeed at a high level. So I believe in Tua. He's a franchise quarterback. I would draft him in a heartbeat. Okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do a film analysis for Justin Herbert, for Jacob Eason, and for Jordan Love. Then we'll rank the top five quarterbacks in the NFL draft. And then later at the end of the show, we'll talk about the XFL shutting down and uh, not returning. And then we'll talk about Tom Brady and the interview he did with Howard Stern. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, My voice is shot. I need a break. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to talk about this guy next. Justin Herbert is the quarterback out of University of Oregon. And many people say he is the third best quarterback in the 2020 NFL draft. In fact, some people even say they would take him over Tua. So I wanted to know, what's the film say about Justin Herbert? And after watching film and watching every game he played in last year, I actually want to warn people Justin Herbert has a number of really alarming problems as a quarterback. He's going to need to sit for a while. He is not ready to be a starter in the NFL. So what I'm going to do is explain some of his issues. I'm also, at the end of this topic, going to give explain, you know, explain and give a little bit of hope for why he could succeed in the NFL. But I want it to be very, very clear. I am not very high on Justin Herbert. He is my fifth-ranked quarterback in the 2020 NFL Draft. I have him a lot lower than a lot of people have. Now, I respect the career Justin Herbert had at Oregon, but having a good career in college does not necessarily mean you are ready for the NFL at all. And unfortunately, this guy needs to work on pretty much everything as a quarterback. So number one, his footwork is awful. As he goes through progressions in the pocket, his feet get progressively worse and worse and worse. He'll go from his first read, his feet are okay. His second read, his feet are bad. His third read, his feet are terrible. His fifth, by his fourth and fifth read, his feet are just atrocious. His base is super wide. He can't drive the ball downfield. His crappy footwork causes him to be inaccurate all the time. He's really slow. He's honestly a bit robotic in the pocket. And when things are not perfect, he will miss. He's completely inaccurate. He regularly misses routine throws, bubble screens, five-yard outs, a 10-yard out. Throws you simply cannot miss at the NFL level. It's a huge red flag. I can't believe nobody's talking about Justin Herbert's blatant and often inaccuracy. Go watch the University of Washington versus Oregon. Against the University of Washington, he had guys wide open. And he would just miss. He also was not accurate enough to beat man coverage. Um, he just, over and over again, it's crazy to me how much people love this guy, but how much he struggles with accuracy. You, know, you had Joe Burrow last year throwing receivers open. You had Tua Tungvaloa at Alabama making perfect throws in really tight windows. And then you have Justin Herbert missing all kinds of easy throws, spraying the ball all over the field. It's crazy to me. People even have... Justin Herbert, Tua, and Joe Burrow in the same conversation. Justin Herbert does not belong in that conversation. He was late all the time in throwing the ball. And it's kind of weird, too. He would play bad often, but his team would still find a way to win. They ran the ball really well. They're a good organization. I love their coach at Oregon. But go watch Utah. Go watch the UW game. 
Those are two games where he was not impressive, but Oregon ran the ball well and they found a way to win. I mean, I think he was up 20 to nothing against Utah. It was Utah, one of those two games, he was up 20 to nothing. And I'm like, how? What has Justin Herbert done? Nothing. They're running the ball really well. And so this guy really, here's the, the most baffling concern to me. I can't believe this is really a problem he has. Justin Herbert really, really struggles to put touch on the ball. There's a throw against USC where there's a man who gets behind everybody. He's open deep, and there's nobody behind him. All Justin Herbert has to do is throw the ball up and over everybody deep. It's an t- easy touchdown. But because Justin Herbert doesn't understand how to take a little bit off and throw the ball up and over everybody, he throws it on a line. A defender's able to get his hands up and knock the ball away. Every single throw Justin Herbert makes is a fastball. He doesn't know how to slow things down at all, make the ball go up and down and make maybe over a defender. He can't do it. It's kind of crazy to me. Nobody taught him how to throw the ball with touch. I just can't believe it. Another weird reality is that the guy's not good at improvising and extending plays. You would think, I mean, he's a good athlete. He's really fast in a straight line. But in the backfield, he's not very elusive as a runner. He can't really escape a rush. He's got I mean, awful footwork really contributes to the problem. He's not good at stepping up right or left or escaping the pocket. And when he is has escaped the pocket and he's out along the perimeter, he's not good at decision-making. He's not very good at throwing the ball downfield and making it happen. Over and over again, here's what's more unbelievable to me. You would see a play where he was outside of the pocket, extending a play along the sideline, and it's like he would just completely forget he could throw the ball away. Like, oh, huh, no one's open. I don't need to take a sack here. I can throw the ball out of bounds. It's like he totally forgot. And he would regularly take a sack along the perimeter while extending a play. I just can't believe he... I just like, Did you forget you could throw the ball away? What's happening here? He's not great at identifying coverages pre-snap. Regularly, I watch the guy completely unprepared for a blitz. I don't know. I just can't believe it, man. I was not impressed at all with Justin Herbert. Everything I see, I see problem after problem after problem. What is it with this guy that everybody loves? He's not ready to play at the NFL level. He's not. Basically, anytime things weren't easy, you know, he struggled. Whether he was throwing into a tight window, he would struggle. Whether he was avoiding pressure and improvising wasn't good. He couldn't extend a play very well. Or if a defense would take away his first or second option, it would force him to throw to his third and fourth read and he'd throw totally inaccurately. He also struggles with pressure in his face. He can't put touch on the ball. Just the list goes on and on and on. Now, there is some hope. I will say this. Many of the problems Justin Herbert has are fixable. If he gets a good coach and works the right person, he could fix these mistakes and become a solid quarterback. But, you know, he often threw the ball to the right receiver. He was simply way too late or incredibly inaccurate. Again, I'll repeat this. He is not ready to be an NFL starter. He needs to sit for a while. He needs good coaching. Now, I will give him some credit. Here's the one thing I saw from Justin Herbert uh, that he's really, really good at. He's great at throwing a deep corner ball. It's a it's a ball deep out along the sideline. You drive it in. It's his favorite throw. You throw it on a line. I'm pretty sure if you asked him, hey, what's your best or what's your favorite throw? He would say the deep corner route. He's so good at it. He's got great anticipation. He can drive the ball in. It's his most comfortable throw. But... I don't know. There are just so many concerns with Justin Herbert. Here's another one, a really big one to me. He's had all these alarming concerns for a while. He's been about the same quarterback for the last three years. You know, I live in Portland, Oregon. 
I have watched a ton of Oregon football. I've watched almost every game Justin Herbert's played in the last couple of years. And I just wonder why hasn't he been improving? Why is he still struggling with the same stuff he's had for it, uh, this, this whole time? It makes me wonder, does Justin Herbert really love football? Does he love it enough to do the work and get better? Why, why is his footwork so bad? Was he not doing footwork drills all last offseason, all for the last three couple of years? Does he love football? Why hasn't he worked on this stuff? And anytime I talk about Justin Herbert and I say, does he love football? People get really mad at me. They're like, well, here's what everyone comes back and says. They'll say, well, he came back for his senior year to play college football. Isn't that clearly an example of him loving football? Not really. Him coming back for his senior year doesn't show that he loves football. It shows that he loves college. You also got to recognize Justin Herbert grew up in Eugene, Oregon, which is where the University of Oregon is located. So when he came back for his senior year, all he did was stay home. All he did was not leave his hometown. Is that really an example of him loving football or is that an example of him saying, hey, it's great here. I'm the man. I love college. It's fun. Staying at home was not exactly an example of how much he loves football. Justin Herbert has a ton, a ton of issues. Here's another one. His hand signals are way too obvious. He needs to learn how to mix things up and disguise some of his hand signals and make it not so easy to pick off. NFL defenses are going to very quickly pick up on what he's doing if he doesn't learn to make it less obvious and disguise them a little bit more. Now, I will say Justin Herbert was great. When everything was easy, when there was a clean pocket, when the defense did exactly what he expected, or when his receivers were wide open. He's not ready for the NFL, though. He isn't hopeless. But after watching film of Justin Herbert, I would hope my favorite team does not draft Justin Herbert. He's got too many mistakes and too many problems, and there's other quarterbacks available that are a lot better than him. So Jordan Love. Jordan Love is the quarterback out of Utah State. And when you watch film of Jordan Love, you will see whatever you want to see. If you want to see a franchise quarterback, then you're going to see a ton of high-level throws. And you're going to go, yeah, this guy, I'm sold, he's it. However, if you want to be convinced that Jordan Love is a bust, you can also really focus in and watch all of his bad decisions and bad throws. So you're like, why are you throwing the ball there? And really, it's bad decision-making less than a bad throw. He's got incredible talent. He's really accurate. He's got a great arm. It's just that he makes bad decisions. He's not gotten to the point where he's good enough at processing defenses at an NFL level. Here's the reality. Jordan Love is an incredibly gifted quarterback, but he's not ready. He needs to sit. He needs to learn and develop and get better as a quarterback to become maybe a starting quarterback down the road in the NFL. But I'll be honest, I, I would draft the guy in a heartbeat. If, if I was a coach who had any kind of confidence in my ability to coach quarterbacks, I would draft Jordan Love in a heartbeat. I could see a guy like, I mean, if the Saints have Drew Brees, a viable starting quarterback already. They need to build for the future eventually at the quarterback position. They should take Jordan Love just like that because the potential Jordan Love has is off the charts. And if you listen to Strong Opinion Sports, if you watched my show for any amount of time, people know. They get mad at me, actually, for not valuing physical attributes enough. People know. I don't care about arm strength or, you know, speed or height or size. I regularly, people get mad at me, actually, for why do you care enough about arm strength or size or this or that? But man, 
I am telling you, if you have any confidence in your ability to coach quarterbacks, you draft Jordan Love in a heartbeat. He is the most interesting quarterback in the entire 2020 NFL draft. He's special from a talent perspective. He's just different. He's special. I've never watched a guy. Him and Patrick Mahomes are the two in the last 10 years where I go, this dude is just different. He just throws the ball differently. It's a different level. It's crazy special. I could see a guy like John Gruden from the Raiders picking him or Sean Payton with the Saints or Joe Brady with the Panthers. Jordan Love needs to sit, but he could very well eventually become the best quarterback in the entire NFL draft in the next couple of years. Like, come talk to me in 2025 when we look back on this draft class, who's the best guy from the draft class. It very well could be Jordan Love rather than Joe Burrow and rather than Tua Tungvaloa. Now, I will say this. It would be really, really stupid to draft Justin Herbert over Jordan Love. If that happens, if any team takes Justin Herbert while Jordan Love is still available, I will. I just think it'd be a massive, massive mistake. Here's how the NFL draft works right now. Here's how the five available quarterbacks stack out. You have Joe Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa. They are the two best available quarterbacks. They're both NFL ready. They're both franchise quarterbacks. I get it. They're the top two. But after Tua and Joe Burrow, every other quarterback needs to sit. They need to learn and get ready to become an NFL quarterback. Jordan Love is the best available guy after Tua and after Joe Burrow. Of all the guys who need to sit, he's the best guy available. People need to realize, last year with the team he had at Utah State, he had nine new offensive starters. He had a whole new coaching staff, and he was on a bad team. It's really funny, you know, Justin Herbert at Oregon was on a team that kind of masked some of his weaknesses. They found a way to win, even if Justin Herbert was playing pretty mundane or average football. Jordan Love was often asked to carry a bad team last year. And here's what's really cool about Jordan Love. He got better last year. At the beginning of the year, Jordan Love and Justin Herbert were kind of in the same place. They had a lot of talent and a lot of problems. And they had a really similar issue, which is kind of shocking to me. They both really struggled to throw the ball with touch. If there's a, a guy between you and me and I want to throw the ball to you, I got to throw the ball over that guy with a little bit of touch to get the ball to you. Justin Herbert can't do that. He tries to throw a missile right through your head, and he hits you. Jordan Love learned last year. We, I saw it throughout the course of the year him learn how to do this, how to throw the ball with touch up and over a linebacker into a receiver's hands. We saw in the beginning of the year, he threw a lot of interceptions. He had two against BYU where linebackers sitting underneath would pick him off because he just threw the ball on a line right to them. He knew that he, he could tell his receivers open, but it's like his brain couldn't quite figure out how to get the ball to that guy. Well, we saw later in the year, by week nine against Fresno State, he finally made it happen. He had a throw where he put the ball over linebackers into a receiver's hands, and we saw him continue that throughout the rest of the year. Week nine is where that clicked, and he learned how to do that. And you got to recognize, getting a new coaching staff was really, really hard for Jordan Love. Uh, but in the end, it did make him a better quarterback. You know, in 2018, Utah State's head coach was Matt Wells. Utah State went 10-2, and and then Matt Wells got hired on at Texas Tech. He got a new job, an upgrade, and he left. And so in 2019, Jordan Love had to get a new coaching staff. Now, two years ago in 2018, Jordan Love was regularly throwing to his first or second option. He didn't really have to work across the field to his third and his fourth read. So last year in 2019 with the new coaching staff, he was actually asked to do more. He regularly had to throw to his third and his fourth option, 
And it took time, but in the long run, Jordan Love learned how to do that, and it made him a better quarterback for the NFL. There were growing pains. It wasn't easy, but it made him better down the road. You also have to recognize that the receivers Jordan Love had were not very good. There were so many drops uh, there's, against uh, Nevada. Oh, my gosh. There were so many drops that Utah State did not get a first down until midway through the second quarter. And in fact, when they finally did get a first down, it happened because Jordan Love just ran the ball himself and got a first down. Joe Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa literally not, I'm not exaggerating, at Alabama and LSU, Joe Burrow and Tua, they had the two best receiving cores in the entire nation. All the best receivers were on those two teams. Now, on the other hand, Jordan Love didn't really have a great receiver. He had one guy near the end of the year named Mariner who kind of emerged as a deep threat, a guy you could throw a jump ball to occasionally. But how many times would Jordan Love put the ball up and his receiver would simply get beat and it would turn into an interception? It's kind of crazy to me. And then not to mention Jordan Love was dropping dimes and his receivers would drop the ball. There's a throw where like it's, it's a perfect NFL throw, totally dropped. And I'm like, what are you doing? What's happening here? Here's the bottom line, though, with Jordan Love. He makes throws that simply cannot be replicated. He had a throw against Colorado State where his feet weren't set, his body's all contorted, his feet are facing the wrong way, and he launches it 60 yards, a perfect pass right into the receiver's hands. It's a strike, and you're like, uh, nobody else can really do that in this draft class. Nobody available can make that play at all, and it's special. He just really reminds me of... Patrick Mahomes. I know it's kind of cliche, it's kind of crazy, but uh, Patrick Mahomes in college had a lot of problems, like a lot of really raw talent, but a lot of decision-making mistakes. But you could tell when you watch Patrick Mahomes in college, this guy's arm talent is different. He's a special quarterback when it comes to throwing the ball. Jordan Love is exactly the same way. He needs to learn how to read defenses. He needs to get better at decision-making. But if he can get a good coach, he can teach him that and go to a situation where he can sit for a while and learn. Oh my gosh, the sky is the limit for Jordan Love. He's got phenomenal mechanics. He's got great feet. He's good at improvising and extending plays. And honestly, some of Jordan Love's interceptions happened because he played on a bad team. And he occasionally would try to be Superman and make a big play. Again, he just needs to sit and learn and learn how to have better processing of defenses and how to have a good decision-making paradigm. Um, I, I just, I can't believe it, man. In the long run, it's very possible that Jordan Love becomes the best quarterback in the NFL draft. After Tua and Joe Burrow, the be- the third best at quarterback available is Jordan Love. But again, in the long run, Justin Herbert, Jake Beeson, Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, all these guys, I believe that Jordan Love could become the best guy of the bunch. He's really that good. He's really that talented. Again, if you listen to my show, you know I don't care about physical attributes, but the talent is so high and so good. And two years ago, he made better decisions with a, a bed, good coaching staff and the ability to sit and learn. He could become very easily, Jordan Love could become the best quarterback from the 2020 NFL draft class. He's the third best quarterback available. If he's not the third quarterback picked in the NFL draft, it's a massive, massive mistake. Again, Joe Burrow and two other ready draft him first and second. I get it. But if any other quarterback is picked third in the draft, other than Jordan Love, it's a massive, massive mistake. He's that good. He's that talented. And of all the guys who need to sit and learn, he is by far the best. Okay, Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason, former University of Washington quarterback, 
What's the film say about him? I would draft Jacob Eason over Justin Herbert. Both of the guys are projects. Neither is ready to be an NFL starting quarterback. But Jacob Eason has fewer issues. Uh, he's super talented. And after Jordan Love, he has the second strongest arm in the NFL draft. He's pretty good at improvising, pretty good at extending plays. He's a better athlete than people realize. And he does two things much better than Justin Herbert. Uh, number one, he actually knows how to take some off the ball and throw a touch and you know throw the ball up and over guys. Every throw Justin Herbert makes is a fastball. Jacob Eason knows how to put the ball up and over defenders and into receivers' hands. Uh, that's pretty good and pretty helpful. He's also a lot faster at processing defenses. He literally gets the ball out of his hands more quickly than Justin Herbert. Jacob Eason, from the time he recognizes a receiver is open to the time the ball comes out, is just so much faster. Not to mention, he's got a better arm. He's got better throws against man coverage. He's accurate enough to beat man coverage. He's not consistent enough. Jacob Eason is not ready for the NFL because he's not as consistent as I would like him to be. But you see a lot of high-level NFL throws, and you go, okay, I get it. I mean, there's a throw against Boise State. It's a beautiful deep ball deep down the sideline, and you're just like, oh, that's perfect. So potential can be a dangerous word. I get it because often you see guys with a lot of potential that don't live up to their potential. But Jacob Eason has both more polish and more potential than Justin Herbert. And I encourage people to go watch University of Washington versus Arizona. Jacob Eason shredded Arizona. And there are a couple throws where he's just got, he's really gutsy. He'll take a hit. He's not afraid to step into a hit as he gets, as he throws the ball. He'll step into a throw, get nailed and still deliver a great pass. And I just watch that and go, I, I love that, man. That's so huge. Now, here are the issues with Jacob Eason. Uh, it's the little things. For example, on the final drive against Oregon, he took a sack instead of throwing the ball away. It cost his team an opportunity to ha- get a first down and put him way behind the chains. Or against Utah, he got baited into throwing an out route. The corner was sitting, waiting for the ball. He grabbed it. The interception ran for a pick six. It was an ugly interception. And occasionally, Jacob Eason would get greedy and force the ball into double coverage. Or sometimes he was totally unprepared to deal with a blitz, which shows he wasn't processing things well enough in the line of scrimmage. But you got to realize, too, Jacob Eason hasn't started that many games at a high level, especially not recently because he had to transfer and sit out for a while. He's a young guy, and I believe Jacob Eason needs time to sit and learn and develop. But if he does, he could become an NFL franchise quarterback. Now, here's my personal question with Jacob Eason. How hard is Jacob Eason going to work? Here's a real concern. He transferred from... Georgia to the University of Washington and Jacob Eason had to sit out an entire year. All he could do was practice. And it's kind of odd to me that he took an entire year off and he, all he could do is prepare and get ready. And when he did finally play, it looked like he still hadn't mastered their offense. He struggled to beat out Jake Hayner in the fall. And, you know, for comparison, a while back, Baker Mayfield transferred from Texas Tech to Oklahoma. And Baker Mayfield had to sit out for a year and prepare and learn the offense. And when Baker Mayfield finally did get on the field at Oklahoma after taking the year off, he was really well prepared. He had mastered Oklahoma's offense and he shredded college football. Why did that not happen with Jacob Eason? Why wasn't he more prepared after taking a year off to study and learn and practice? You know, people in the building at UW that I know were frustrated. They're like, why isn't this guy's development happening faster? 
So again, I tell you, Jacob Eason has all the talent. His film is there. I love his film. He could become a special quarterback in the NFL. But the question is, will Jacob Eason work his butt off? He's going to be rich. He's young. He's got going to have a, I don't know, man. Does he like hanging out at the lake? Or does he like doing the work and getting better at footwork drills and studying NFL defenses and doing that kind of stuff? The quiet work you have to do by yourself to become a great NFL quarterback. I'm rooting for Jacob Eason. I love Jacob Eason's film. I loved watching him against Arizona, taking shots, getting nailed, having gutsy throws where he stepped into getting a hit. I love that kind of stuff. So I really hope Jacob Eason works his butt off and succeeds. We'll find out. He's really talented. I'd take him over Justin Herbert. He's the fourth best quarterback, in my opinion, in the NFL draft. But the question is, how hard will Jacob Eason work to succeed at the NFL level? All right. Um, I want to now rank the top five quarterbacks in the NFL draft. I'll put them in order from best to worst. So the number one quarterback in the 2020 NFL draft is Joe Burrow. He should be the number one overall pick. He works his butt off. He's great at identifying coverages. He has great footwork. He's super accurate. He loves man coverage. He can literally throw guys open. He's got a ton of back shoulder throws and great ball location. Joe Burrow is great at improvisation. He's so good at extending plays and throwing the ball downfield. And to top it all off, Joe Burrow's got poise and moxie. He plays his best football in the biggest moments. I love it. I'm a big fan of Joe, uh, Joe Burrow. Now, the number two quarterback is Tua Tungavaloa. You know, both Joe Burrow and Tua are franchise quarterbacks. They're the two best quarterbacks available. Joe Burrow is the clear number one. There's a difference and a gap between Joe Burrow and Tua. Then there's Tua Tungvaloa, the clear number two. Then there's a gap between Tua and everybody else. Now, the difference between Joe Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa is that Joe Burrow has more creative solutions than Tua does. Joe Burrow is next level with ball location and with throwing guys open. And he's better at extending plays. He's better at improvisation and keeping a play alive and creating a throw downfield when extending the play. So again, Joe Burrow is a clear number one. Tua is a clear number two. But then there's a bunch of people after Tua. Tua is great, man. Tua is great at reading defenses. Uh, he's got a ton of throws and a tight window. Both quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Tua, regularly throw to their third and their fourth read with ease. Um, and they're comfortable working through progressions. And film aside, you know, Joe Burrow worked crazy hard to get where he is. He won a Heisman Trophy, won a national championship. He'll likely be the number one overall pick. He has the record for touchdown passes in a single season. Probably had the best season ever by a college quarterback ever. The question about Joe Burrow is, can he keep it up? How hungry is he for more success? Will he keep working at that crazy intense level he did to get to where he is now? Now with Tua, uh, Tua has faced a ton of adversity. In the last couple months, he got hurt. He had a ton of doubters. And I believe that the adversity to a face will make him a better man, a better leader, and in the long run, a better quarterback. I would go into battle with Tua. I love Tua. I think all the stuff he's been through, the adversity, makes him better. And so to be clear, the top two quarterbacks in the NFL draft, number one, Joe Burrow. There's a gap. Number two, Tua Tungvaloa. Then there's a gap. And then there's everybody else. And after those two guys, you have Jacob Eason, Jordan Love and Justin Herbert. Who is what's the order there? None of those three guys are ready to be starters in the NFL. To uh, Eason, Herbert, or Jordan Love, they all have problems. They all need to sit and develop. And the best of those three, the number three quarterback in the NFL draft, 
is Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State. It's very possible that in the long run, Jordan Love could become the best quarterback from the 2020 NFL Draft. He's scary talented, and if he's not the third quarterback taken in the NFL Draft in 2020, it's a massive mistake. He makes throws that simply cannot be replicated. There are throws where you go, how, how did he do that? His body wasn't even facing, and he threw the ball that way on a line. Like, that's crazy to me. If Jordan Love is given good coaching and time to develop, he could become scary good. Um, you know, he also has the fewest problems of the other three quarterbacks I mentioned. He played with very little help and on a bad roster at Utah State. He got better throughout the course of the year. He got better at throwing the ball with touch. He got better at working to throw to his third and his fourth reads. He became better as a quarterback last year, and I'm really, really impressed with Jordan Love. So then we're left with Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason. Most people have Justin Herbert, the number three quarterback. Even some people have him number one or two in the NFL draft. To me, Jacob Eason is my number four quarterback available in the 2020 NFL draft. Jacob Eason has, Jacob Eason has fewer issues and more talent than Justin Herbert. He's got all the physical tools. He needs to work on decision-making, but... Jacob Eason's ability to beat man coverage with his arm is really impressive. He's got a lot of great throws on film. Um, and again, decision-making is the question mark, but that's it's he doesn't have the physical issues. He's got decision-making problems. Justin Herbert is my number five quarterback in the NFL draft, and he's got potential, but he's got a lot of major flaws. Not only does he need to work on decision-making, he also has a lot of physical and mechanical errors that are really problematic. Here are the problems that Justin Herbert has. He's got terrible footwork. He's got a ton of inaccurate throws. He's inconsistent. He's bad at improvising and extending plays. He's slow to read defenses. He's often way too late throwing the ball. He doesn't know how to put touch on the ball to throw it up and over a defender. And he's not accurate enough to beat man coverage. I really wonder, does Jordan love, excuse me, does Justin Herbert, does Justin Herbert love football? People always counter that by saying, well, uh, you know, Justin Herbert came back for his senior year at Oregon. That doesn't mean he loves football. Coming back for his senior year shows that you love college, not that you love football. Not to mention, oh, Justin Herbert is from Eugene, Oregon, which is where the University of Oregon is located. Basically, for his senior year, he chose to stay home rather than go to the NFL. Again, that shows he loves college and loves Eugene and loves being the man at Oregon, not that necessarily he loves football. The, the question mark about Justin Herbert is, why didn't he show more improvement? He's been the same quarterback for the last three years. He's been making the same mistakes for the last three years. What's going on? People love all the physical attributes that Justin Herbert has, but people seem to be totally ignoring all the flaws, the inaccurate throws, the bad footwork, the bad timing, the late, everything wrong. So again, my top five quarterbacks in the NFL draft are... Number one, Joe Burrow. Number two, Tua Tungvaluwa. Both are franchise quarterbacks. I love them. Number three, and the clear number three, is Jordan Love. He's crazy talented. He's not ready to be an NFL starter, but he could become, in the long run, the best quarterback available and the best quarterback drafted in this draft class. Number four, you have Jacob Eason. He needs to develop. Mostly, it's mental processing and the ability to make better decisions. And then number five, you have Justin Herbert, who makes... I mean, he's got a ton of flaws. He's got mechanical flaws. He needs to work on accuracy. He needs to work on decision-making. He needs to work on everything. And so my number five quarterback available in the 2020 NFL Draft is, in fact, Justin Herbert. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, 
Uh, I'm going to react to the fact that the XFL is now over. Then we will talk about Tom Brady and Howard Stern. We'll end the show. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I have some sad news. It's not... This is old news now. I'm sure most people know this, but um, the XFL is over. Unless somebody buys it or something crazy happens, uh, the XFL is no longer a thing. They filed for bankruptcy. About 10 days ago, they announced that they had suspended operations. They laid off their employees. And they said that they do not have any plans for the 2021 season next year. And honestly, when I found out about this, I was really, really sad. Uh, COVID-19 has been... Really, really tough for me, and this has been really, really disappointing. And hearing, you know, my I loved the XFL. I really enjoyed it. I I loved watching it. I loved covering it. It was my I had so much such a blast with it. And so to hear that it's over and that it's gone um, was super depressing. I actually like when I found out, I I went for a walk. I went to go be alone, and I just was like alone for the whole day, just pretty upset. It really it made me more sad than I thought it would actually, because um, I just was invested. I loved it. And what's even more sad is that. Um, the XFL was actually succeeding. It was making it. They were five weeks in, and we got to see some pretty good football. Things were working. People were watching. And the truth is, it just could not have been worse timing to start a new league. I mean, it's pretty rare. <laughs> it's never happened in the last, in anybody else I know's lifetimes, that we've had a global pandemic that destroys the economy. So it's just really unfortunate. Um, it sucks, because I know that some people are going to make fun of the XFL and say, you know, they now have failed two times. They failed in 2001. They failed again now. And, you know, this time they couldn't even make it through one season in 2020. But context matters. You know, they were five games in. Things were going well. And they had a global pandemic. The reality is that, you know, Vince McMahon, the guy who funded the XFL using the WWE money, realized that it wasn't smart to keep funding the XFL. I mean, Vince McMahon has a a duty to keep the WWE going and running and they're having, you know, the WWE is having a hard enough time existing and surviving. It's just not a good time to have a side project of trying to keep afloat financially as well. So they had to cut ties with the XFL and it's sad. You know, I, I just, it's so disappointing because the XFL seems to have lost money while operating. But I always said that season one was an investment. You were building an audience for years two and three and it's rare for a business to make a profit on day one. And that's why startups usually require to have investors and people bringing in money for the company so that they can stay afloat for a little while until they have a product ready that can make enough money to survive. Now, I think the classiest part about the XFL leaving and closing their doors, if you don't know, they went bankrupt, um, You know, which part of why they went bankrupt is because they can avoid paying the debts they owe. They're not going to pay the coaches the rest of the money they owe. Like they owe Bob Stoops, I think like a million dollars. Um, they're not going to pay, they owe a bunch of companies money, but here's the cool part. The classy thing to me was that the XFL paid their employees and they paid the players, which is so like cool to me. Uh, the players here in this equation are guys who really need a paycheck. They have a very special, you know, niche job and niche skill set. They can't really make a lot of money elsewhere. And so I think the XFL very much did the right thing. The guys I know in the XFL got paid, they got taken care of, uh, and they got paid for the rest of the year, even though. The last five games didn't happen. They still got paid for those five games. It didn't happen. And that's just really, really cool. Um, not everybody else talked about that part of it. Like, yes, it went bankrupt. Yes, it's awful. But they paid the players. And so I'm really grateful for that. 
Uh, it's cool because they paid players money that they desperately, desperately needed. These are not guys who've made millions of dollars in the NFL. These are guys who are trying to get by, and the money they were paid really, really helped them and helped their families. Um, I want to read a long post by uh, from a former XFL employee, a guy named Andrew Sampson. He was the director of content for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Here's what David uh, Andrew Sampson here's what Andrew Sampson said on Twitter. He said, "On Friday, I got laid off by the XFL." But that's not what bothered me most. Sure, I was gutted by the news and saddened for all of us who worked tirelessly to build the league from scratch. But layoffs are, unfortunately, understandable in the current state of the world, you know, in the midst of COVID-19 and the pandemic going around the world, especially in the sports world. What really got my blood boiling was the albeit too predictable reaction on this platform right here. The haters and Twitter eggs were dancing on the league's still warm body. Even though the XFL has been shut down based on circumstances beyond the league's control. They claimed this proved what they've been saying all along. Nobody needs another sports league, let alone another football league. On some level, I get where they're coming from. You know, when I channel surf past the insert brand name sponsor here, Bowl, or the National Cornhole Championship, I also start to think we have more sports than we can possibly need. But football is the most popular sport in America by far. And sports are a business like any other. We know that when similar products exist in the same space, the companies will develop and redevelop their versions to make sure theirs is superior. In that battle, the winner is always the consumer. The consumer is given options, choices, and power. So why are these people rooting against the XFL? I think I know the answer and it makes sense. The NFL is more than a sports league. It's an American institution. Symbols like the Green Bay Packers G and the Dallas Cowboys star are so deeply rooted in our culture that it's like Betsy Ross sewed them, into her, sewed them herself. We feel beholden to them, but we should feel more beholden to another American institution, the free market system. Nobody owns the concept of football. When we chuck a pigskin through the backyard tire swing, we don't have to send a royalty check to the family of Walter Camp, a.k.a the guy who invented football. Football is a product we can all own. Essentially, it's an open source program for sports nerds. <laughs> Look, I know I'm biased given that the XFL paid me a salary for six months, but I think the league provided an innovative and exciting spin on the game. I could give you a laundry list of examples to back that up, but I want to focus on the XFL's most important achievements, providing entertainment for millions of fans and jobs for hundreds and hundreds of people who love football. Not only people like myself, but also coaches and players who have devoted their entire lives to the game. You know, I've read a bunch of comments and subtweets from the haters, a bunch of NFL rejects. These guys couldn't make my high school's JV squad. Who's playing quarterback? Uncle Rico? I know they could not have possibly watched the games because if they did, they'd immediately realize how wrong they were. The human wrecking ball who can run a 4-4 and blast his way through a defensive line, he was in the XFL. The gunslinger who can hit a receiver dead in his palm from 50 yards away, he was there too. The 300-pound lineman who can somehow wheel his body several feet in the air to bat down a pass, yep. The league was full of supremely gifted athletes, and they were all there for the same reason. They didn't want to give up on their dreams, and they, all they needed was an opportunity. The XFL gave them an opportunity. How can you root against that? Andrew Sampson, I loved what you said. Um, he's totally right, by the way. And the XFL innovated a lot of stuff about the game of football that I think the NFL could learn from and take from their league. But I love everything he said. You know, 
what I don't get, if you didn't love the XFL, you didn't want the XFL, no problem. But why would you root for the XFL to fail? Why would you root against it? It's football. I love football. It's my favorite sport. Uh, and I never understood how having more football games hurt anybody. I just don't get it. And it's really crazy to me. I, I don't like the NCAA. The NCAA exists. And the way they treat their student athletes, their quote student athletes, is totally ridiculous to me. Yet people love college football and they totally hate on and crap on the XFL. I don't get it. It's silly to me. If you don't like something, don't watch it. No problem. But why do you need to hate on it and root against it and say all this horrible stuff? I never understood why people root against things like the XFL. How is the XFL hurting them or affecting their life negatively at all? For me, having more football, I'm a football nerd. Having more football is great. It makes me happy. It gives me more entertainment. And I never understood why people hated the XFL so much. I loved it. I'm really sad it's gone. Andrew Sampson, everything he said in this was so well put, so well written. Uh, I know that was a long thing to read, but I, I just loved it. I loved his message. I loved everything he said. And I will be very, very sad that the XFL is not going to return next year. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a great five weeks. I loved going to games. Uh, I knew people on the inside with them, and I, I really am sad. People I know lost their jobs. It's terrible. And um, I don't know, man. I wish it had been given... Uh, another two years. Because I think if you did, if the XFL had made it to next year and then into year three, the audience would have grown and kept growing and growing. And it's really, really sad that we didn't get a chance to see that. Okay, um, did anybody see the interview that Tom Brady did on Howard Stern? It's old news now, but it's two hours long and I finally took time to sit down and listen to it. And I want to share my thoughts. Tom Brady on Howard Stern's show, the full interview... It was so cool to hear Tom Brady talk a little bit more freely and kind of share some of the share a little bit about his life. Uh, for years, apparently, Howard Stern has been trying to get Tom Brady onto his show, and it always was agreed upon. Then it would fall through, and Howard Stern speculated that the Patriots organization wouldn't let it happen. And Tom Brady, when given that, uh, you know, when when Howard Stern said that to Tom Brady, I will point out. Tom Brady never actually denied that. So to me, it's pretty clear that's what happened. Sounds about right to me. It's just so cool now. Tom Brady's free to do whatever interviews he wants and talk to whoever he wants. And uh, I just love so much that Tom Brady left New England. I'm like, yes, Tom Brady's free. We can hear more about his life and hear more about who he is. Uh, now, I've always known that Howard Stern is a radio legend, but I've never actually really sat down and listened to him before. I get it, man. Howard Stern is a great interviewer. I want to actually listen to more of his show now. I think I can get into it. I really like who he is and his vibe. And it was so cool to hear Tom Brady talk so casually. He cussed a little bit. He was kind of just being himself. Um, I loved it. Now, there are a couple moments that stood out to me I want to talk about. Uh, number one was hearing Tom Brady talk about leaving the New England Patriots and leaving the area and leaving the people he left behind. Um, Brady said that he knew going into last year he was pretty sure it was going to be his last year in New England. And it makes a lot of sense to me because Tom Brady signed a contract before last year that he knew was going to void once the year was over. So pretty much it was a handshake agreement between both sides. Yeah, this is our last year and our last hurrah together. And, uh, you know, this Howard Stern interview convinced me even more than before that parting ways between Brady and Belichick and the Patriots organization was just totally mutual. Um, you know, Tom was really respectful the way he talked about Bill Belichick, which like you would expect Tom Brady's not going to, Tom Brady, what I really like about Brady is, 
you can tell he's really comfortable with his place in life. He's got no desire to trash anybody or say negative stuff about people. He's very secure in who he is, which I find pretty admirable. Um, but, you know, he, he talked about Belichick and was particularly respectful. And it didn't feel fake. It felt authentic and genuine. And Brady said that he understood that Bill Belichick needed to plan for the future. You know, Tom acknowledged that he was in uncharted territory when it came to age, you know, how old he was in the quarterback position. You know, Brady's going to be 43 in August. And uh, Bill wanted to move on and get a younger quarterback and start building for the future. And I think Tom Brady, on the other hand, wanted to get out of New England. He wanted better teammates. He wanted a new adventure and a new experience. And I don't think there was any animosity between the two sides. I really strongly believe that the, the relationship just ran its course. Belichick wanted a plan for the future. Tom Brady wanted better teammates and a, a new you know, situation. And so I don't think that Brady and Belichick hate each other. I really truly think that their just relationship had come to an end and ran its course and there wasn't anything more to be done between the two of them. You know, Howard Stern asked the question to, to Brady, who's more important, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? And I loved Brady's answer because Tom Brady said that, you know, he couldn't do the coach's job and the coach's job couldn't do the quarterback's job which is something I've always said for years, you need both. You need both guys to make it work. You need the coach and you need the quarterback, and they can't do each other's job. And so to me, I, I just love that part. Now, the whole conversation was pretty inspiring to me to listen to, but there was one part in particular where Tom Brady talked about leadership. He said, you don't pick your teammates. And you got to remember, Tom Brady literally talks about himself. He's a self-described introvert. But he talked about how important it is to connect with your teammates and connect with the people around you, no matter what their background is. And I love that because it's an example of how much Tom Brady has mastered every aspect of the quarterback position. He's an introvert. He likes to work hard. He's a family man, but he understands that doing the work of reaching out to your teammates and getting to know them on a personal level is part of the job of a quarterback. And I just really, really love that. You know, people don't realize that being an introvert doesn't mean you're antisocial. It means you just would prefer to be alone in a big crowd or at a party or yada yada. And uh, to connect with guys is what you really need to be an effective quarterback. Tom Brady understands that. And I really, really respect that he understands that part of the quarterback position. It was also really cool to hear Tom Brady talk about his marriage. Now you can tell he struggled a little bit with being a workaholic and having, learning how to take time for his family and slow down and not make football, everything he does 24 seven all the time. When all you do is work, I know this from personal experience, the other parts of your life really, you know, struggle and suffer. And uh, his marriage had uh, suffered because of his love and really, I guess, his workaholism and his addiction to working for football. And so a while back, Tom Brady says he made the choice to lean in and step up with his family and become more of a family man. And I love that. I just love hearing Brady talk about that stuff. Now, one interesting part is when he talks about how he doesn't want to let people down. You know, when people put their faith and their trust in him, he said that's really, really motivating and inspiring to him. Tom Brady has this quote. He says, if you bet on me, I'll give you everything I have. And I love that because I know that that's what the Buccaneers did for Tom Brady. He's going to give them everything he has to try to make things happen and make him win in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. Now, there is one segment I really, really love where Tom Brady talked about his college days at Michigan. And this segment is where we got the best quote of the entire interview. It's, I guess I'm not going to give you a quote. I'm going to give you roughly what Tom Brady said. But Tom Brady said, so many things didn't go the way he had hoped. 
you know, but in the end, they went exactly the way he needed for him to grow as a person. And he needed the experiences he went through in college. And I, man, I, I just resonate with that. I love that. People don't realize I played college football for a little bit. I did play college football, played quarterback in college. And in the end, I've become way more successful as a broadcaster than I ever was as a college quarterback. But in college, as a quarterback, I was a short quarterback with an average arm who made good decisions, but was never the flashiest or the biggest or the strongest. And I really heavily dealt with politics as a quarterback in college. So Tom Brady talked about Michigan. And Brady says that at Michigan, Lloyd Carr was a head coach, and he was never Lloyd Carr's guy. Lloyd Carr always wanted another quarterback, not Brady. And Brady really dealt with the politics and struggled with that. And I struggled with the exact same thing at Michigan. And, you know, it's so cool to hear Tom Brady talk about Michigan because it made it more clear to me I did the right thing by leaving. Uh, Tom Brady said he always knew that, you know, the one thing he knew, he wasn't the coach's guy. He was never going to get given the benefit of the doubt. He wasn't the fastest or the strongest or the best athlete. But Brady said he always knew that if he was given three reps that day and he was perfect in those three reps, he did the best he could with those three reps, then it would lead to eventually getting five reps. And then if he did great with those five plays, eventually he would get 10 and 10 would lead to 30. And if he just kept doing what he did and controlling what he could control, then eventually he would become the guy at Michigan. And again, I was a short quarterback, average arm strength. I was never the coach's guy in college. And, you know, my coach always wanted the flashier guy who had a better deep ball and had played before and transferred in and yada, yada. And I did everything I could with the limited reps I was given. I, was, I threw touchdowns. I moved the ball downfield. I made big plays. I connected with my guys. I always made the right decisions at the line of scrimmage. And it was never enough for my coach at college. At least for me, it felt like it was never enough. And my coach would kept promising me. My coach would say to me, I'm going to give you more reps. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he never delivered on the promises he gave. He said, if you do great with three, you'll get five. Like Tom Brady says, right? If you do great with what you have, you'll get more. My coach always promised me more reps and more this and more that. And my coach never delivered on the promises he made. And I was just tired of my coach telling me one thing and then not delivering on that. And so I left. My YouTube channel had blown up. I became a full-time broadcaster. And, you know, in college, Tom Brady was in a situation where if he did good and good enough, eventually it led to getting more reps and getting more, more opportunities to play the quarterback position. When I played in college... I felt like my coach, and, and it's true, my, my coach kept giving me promises and saying, I'm going to get you more reps. I'm going to give you more reps in practice here and there. And I would do good with what I had, and he would never deliver on the promises he made. I wasn't his guy, and I could live with that. Hearing Tom Brady talk about his experience made me understand that, you know, I just, I was in a different situation than that. It gave me peace because I honestly feel like I was lied to when I played college football. My coach kept saying, you did great. You threw a touchdown here and there, and I'm going to give you more reps tomorrow. And tomorrow would come, no more reps. So when I left my college football program to become a full-time broadcaster, um, I, this, this interview really gave me peace and helped me understand that. It made me feel better about it. Now, other things Tom Brady said, he said that he really doesn't lift weights. He does some band workouts, but he worries about stretching and flexibility. Made a lot of sense to me as a quarterback and how the quarterback position works. To be Tom Brady, you don't need to be big and fast and strong. You need to be able to take a hit and throw the ball well. Now, it was also interesting to hear that Tom Brady said he would let his son play football someday. And Brady talked about how 
There are so many life lessons you can learn from the game of football. I 1,000% agree. Uh, If my kids want to play football, they'll be allowed to do that for sure. Because the game of football really taught me so many life lessons and shaped who I was as a person. And uh, I don't know, man. All in all, it was a great interview. I loved hearing Tom Brady finally open up. Howard Stern was awesome. And uh, go find it if you can. It's two hours of Tom Brady doing a full interview on Howard Stern. I loved it. Go find it if you can. It was a great interview. I'd love to hear what people think of it as well. And um, if you can, go watch it. If you need something to listen to or something to talk about or something to do anything with, something to take up your time, go watch Tom Brady on Howard Stern because it was a phenomenal, phenomenal interview. Guys, that's all I have. Uh, My voice is shot. This is the first time I've talked to this much in a long time. I've been watching film and being pretty quiet at my house and um, you know, I, I need to rest. I'm hopefully going to record. I'm watching the Michael Jordan, um, documentary tonight, reacting to that tomorrow. Got a couple of stuff, more things for tomorrow about other, another quarterback and some more NFL draft stuff. I got more content coming. I really appreciate it. But right now my voice is done. I got to go rest and relax. Um, I want to end the show this way though, by saying that four years ago, my younger brother, uh, took his own life. And through that whole experience, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one is that, If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. He suffered in silence. One day I came home. He was dead on the floor. Nobody knew he was having a hard time. And he just quietly took his life. I encourage you, please don't do that. If you're struggling, go get help. Go talk to a teacher or an authority figure or a parent or anybody you can. Do not suffer in silence. Talk to somebody. Now, you have nobody you can talk to. There really is nobody you can turn to. Then as a last result, please call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. If you're really struggling, you have nobody to turn to, you can call the suicide hotline. Um, now, the final thing is this, man. Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, know how much you care about them. Make sure you give people hugs, tell them you love them, make sure they know that if they're struggling, they can reach out to you. Uh, I saw my brother all the time. We played high school football together. We worked together. We played Halo together. And all our conversations were very mundane about sports and movies and video games and girls. And I never did a good enough job as a brother telling him, hey, if you're struggling, you can reach out to me. You can talk to me. We can have a conversation. So make sure the people in your life know how much you love them and make sure that they know they can talk to you if they're struggling and need someone to talk to. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I apologize. My voice is just gone. I'm really, I just need to rest a little bit. I appreciate your listening. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.